That's the breaking news sound, Don. We have more breaking news. We do. We do. It's, uh, <laughs> breaking news gives us something to talk about, which is always appreciated, right? you know? Thank goodness. Thank goodness yeah. stuff keeps happening in the world of NAMSA so that we have things to talk about. So today, uh, Lisa Olson, our vice president of operations, is joining us for kind of a, a separate interview we did. So much going on. It was hard to get us all together. But NAMSA has been awarded ASCA certification from the FDA. Uh, for those of you that don't know what that is, listen in. There's a lot more detail in this episode about ASCA, this first ever certification the FDA is doing, and how you um, benefit from NAMSA's new certification. Welcome to Biocompatibility the first ever podcast focus on the biocompatibility of medical devices. NAMSA is happy to bring biocompatibility to you, where each episode features leading industry experts and their discussions on biocompatibility challenges. Be sure to visit www.namsa.com for more information and to access all podcasts and transcripts. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. It's a big day in history, I think. A big day in history. Big day in history for for NAMSA, anyways, and for yeah. biocompatibility in general, and, for and the FDA. Yeah, you know, this biocompatibility is... in the United States. There we go. True, a big day for NAMSA and biocompatibility in the United States. For some things. For some things. <laughs> so we just made it not so big, but it's big. I mean, I'm not going to uh, take anything away from this, but yes, for some things, for the United States, for the FDA. For biocompatibility for NAMSA. Don't let the qualifiers take away the enormity of the day, right? Right. So right. It is it is a big deal. So we have received accreditation from the FDA for the accreditation scheme of conformity assessment. And it's the first time FDA has done this for biocompatibility lab. Exactly. And hence the reason it is it is something big. I mean it's uh, for anybody that works with the FDA and works in the area of biocompatibility for a regulatory body to come out and state something along this lines. It's certainly significant. So um, certainly. So, yeah, I mean, and it just kind of brings back the uh, some of our past pod or at least one of our past podcasts where this this came up. And I guess from from my perspective, not being as involved as what others at NAMSA has have been involved. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is okay, at a high level, what is that? It's, right. you know, <laughs> it's ASCA, but what's that mean? Right, Besides right, yeah. This is something that at a high level is kind of hard to explain. The sim simplest terms are NAMSA's accredited for biocompatibility testing. And people would go, well, weren't they already? Like, didn't you already submit data to, to FDA? And didn't you already do GLP testing? And my answer to that is absolutely yes, we have for years, many, many years. The difference here is the FDA has taken steps to pre-certify certain tests. And we were audited by an independent accreditation body, and then they gave us a certificate. Then we were applied to the FDA, and the FDA, we did rounds of questions with them. And then they've come back and issued this public list today that NAMSA is on and shows that we are accredited. It's a shortcut 
for certain tests, basically, is kind of the way I like to look at it for customers. And we have limited tests that are accredited, but it's all directed by this pilot study. So it is a pilot study. The FDA seemingly at any point could say, nope, this isn't working for us. And we're we're gonna we're gonna take it back. But the reason they they did this is really to help decrease the burden of I think manufacturers to some extent, as well as the FDA in the review process. So they've probably reviewed the same material for cytotoxicity a billion times and had to look at all the detail of these reports because if you submit them, they have to look at them. This gives that a shortcut. So certain tests, we now have a shortcut in the test report, basically, that shortens their burden of reviewing these test reports because they've pre-done it. So in a simplest sense, that if you use an accredited lab, you could have and should have a lower burden of proof in your test reports to the FDA. Does that make sense? (laughs) Makes sense to me. Makes sense to me. You know, but you know, if if you don't have to make somebody read another, you know, cytotoxicity test report and have a basis for not needing to, you know, you know, spare us the <laughs> the the twenty page report that I have to read now or, or something right. like that. So and I, this I is a, in accordance with their, you know, amendments to their, you know, user fee and their user amendments, and it's all part of their regulations that they are assessing their performance and this is ultimately going to help with their performance metrics to the industry as well. So that's also, you know, that's a big part of it for the FDA. So I'm sure our listeners are sitting out there going, okay, you keep saying tests. So, so like what <laughs> tests are we, <laughs> what's, and right. obviously Cyto right. is one of them. Um, Cyto is one of them. Spoiler alert. Specific Cido is Cido, one of them. I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we talked about this previously in an episode with, with Lisa. And Lisa and I talked earlier and and she had some input on the tests and what this looks like for customers when they are performing these tests at NAMSA. So Lisa, one of the things that's interesting about ASCA is the subset of testing that the FDA selected and the thoughts around these tests and the, the applicable situation that these tests bring forward. Well, sure, you did a great job of listing out the ex- the extensive list. But on the flip side, you could also say it's not extensive and a lot was missed. And I, I know people question why the FDA went down that pathway. And-, and I believe that the FDA was really looking at the value of the test. And not to say that one test has better val- value than another, but there are certain tests like cytotoxicity that are incredibly standardized. And many labs do them. And in essence, many labs are doing them the same. But when you have a lab that goes away from the norm and you get different results, then it throws into question what those results really mean and what was more accurate and, and how do you look at that. So the FDA did a great job of picking out the studies that are well-established. So many labs know how to do them. And many labs have well-established protocols for those. And then the studies that you need to think a little bit more about when you look at the results, like gene talks or implant studies, where you really need to look at the results a little tighter and there's more variability that can happen, they didn't include those. And and I think that 
was a really wise choice because a cyto is a cyto is a cyto. And I'm a cyto person. So I I, I say that (laughs) with with, with fondness, but you can control it really well. And so I, I think that's what the FDA was really looking at was to say, let's control and not spend the time really looking over all the minutia of, of studies that are stable. And let's spend the time looking at data where there could be those nuances that are really uh, meaningful and, and require you to think about the results. Great. Yeah. Thank you. So, yeah, the, the cytotoxicity is MEM elution method. The hemolysis study is both the extract and direct contact method, the ASTM method. Complement activation assay is one of them. Isointracutaneous and ISO skin irritation. So both of those methods. Notice there is not an in vivo or in vitro irritation on the list. So these are both in vivo methods. Acute systemic toxicity. So your short-term acute toxicity, the maximization study, and also the closed patch sensitization study. Both of those are on there. And and that's it. So it's basically this small subset of tests that are pre-qualified by the FDA. So in our approval process, we submitted all of our documentation, all of our processes, all of our, you know, test specs, and they basically pre-approved everything we're doing for each one of these assays. So in essence, they don't have to review the test reports later. They've done the upfront work. I don't know if you mentioned it, but mater- I don't know. I don't remember mm. if you said material mediated pyrogen or not. I know it was, but that's on I the did list, not. I, think, too. I missed it. Right. You're right. I missed it. Okay. Yes. Material pyro- mediated pyrogen. Absolutely. That is on the list, too. So it's basically one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So if you look at nine seg- nine parts that are also in consensus standard. So these are all consensus standard tests. They're all within the documents in the ISO that the FDA has in their consensus standard. And then the test methods specified by the pilot. Like you said, only one cyto, only the MEM elution, not the direct contact, not the over agar overlay, just the MEM elution. And not to say that, I guess, in those situations that if you did a different cytotoxicity test, just as an example, doesn't mean that that study is worthless. Obviously, it's just not ASCA accredited as it stands right now. Exactly. Exactly. So there are different qualifications that we have to show for these ASCA tests. For example, a study director cannot perform, cannot direct an ASCA study at NAMSA or any accredited laboratory, unless they have a minimum training requirement, like two years in this job and a minimum of study directing of 25 tests. So for NAMSA, a study director to get to 25 tests doesn't take very long at all, just by our sheer volume. But the two years, we can't accelerate, right? So you have people who are, we can't put them in one of those chambers and (laughs) speed up two years. No DeLorean Um, takes care of that? (laughs) No DeLorean. We do not have a DeLorean. So there's only a limited number of people that can perform these tests. Same within the laboratory. They have to have a minimum time on the job, a minimum number of studies. They also have to have a minimum education level. 
and and a lab accreditation. So there are lots of requirements that laboratories had to meet in order for FDA to grant this accreditation. We've been preparing and working on this for two years, but really in the last five months, meeting multiple times a week with a large cross-functional team to make sure that we had all the pieces in place. And NAMSA being as big as we are, there's, you know, you have limited number of people that meet all these qualifications to perform these tests. So if I'm a customer and I want to do ASCA studies, and maybe I have an auger overlay, but I'm still going to do the maximization sensitization, I'm still going to do material mediated pyrogen, all of the tests that qualify to be ASCA, you can still perform them. And you can have a mixture of non-ASCA and ASCA qualified tests. So there's lots of different scenarios that could happen here. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I guess, you know, we talked about, you know, the, the benefits from, I'll say from FDA's point of view, not having to look at, you know, maybe the details in, in some cases, but I assume from a customer standpoint, you know, people ordering these tests that there's, or just in general, you know, for the labs as well, additional benefits there to be, uh, to be gained, I guess, during the whole submission process. Just this idea that, which I, this is the one that's interesting to me, is just the idea that there might not be for ASCA studies, you know, limited or, or, or fewer deficiencies because they've essentially already seen that test. Now, you're still going to have to deal with all the other tests that might not be ASCA accredited that you, that you submitted. But for those that are, hopefully there's, again, limited review time limited amount of deficiencies, hopefully none for those studies. But I guess that remains to be seen in practice. So one of the interesting things about this program to help speed up maybe the FDAs or lessen their burden of review is the summary report and the benefits of that summary report. Would you want to give me a little bit of information about the summary report, which is really hard to say, by the way, they could have renamed it something harder because if you say summary report, you can't say it three times. <laughs> no, that's a lot of art in a row. It's a lot of art. <laughs> it's very close together. <laughs> I talked to Lisa Olson a little bit about this, about the benefits to our customers and the summary report process. So here's what she had to say about that topic. I think this is one of the most fascinating parts of, of the program. And what it does is it takes away the fluff. And it, what has happened in industry is we all took, when we were writing reports, we took the standard scientific approach. You write your protocol, you do your study, and then you write your report. And your report would actually then just be your protocol in past tense with any potential deviations or, or, or modifications that you might have had. Well, point in fact, for many of the studies, nothing really happens out of the ordinary. You executed the protocol. And what you really care about is the data. And by having these summary reports, you get right to the heart of the matter without having to look at, not to demean marketing, because I love marketing, <laughs> but you get rid of all the marketing part of it. And, yeah, true. And, and some of the fluff that doesn't really get to, did the study go the way you expected? What were the results? Does it meet criteria? Whether that's pass-fail or whatever the case may be. So I think it's a great way to have both reviewers and labs focus on the most important part 
what happened, and what does it mean? Yep, excellent. So as you can see, there's there's some benefits to to that summary report, right? In essence, that's all the FDA needs to review for an ASCA study, which should in turn result in fewer deficiencies or no deficiencies on these studies because, again, in essence, they've pre-approved the test method, the report, and the way we perform the test should be a huge advantage. In the majority of 510K deficiencies today, (laughs) I think if you look at the FDA's report, the majority of them are on biocompatibility deficiencies. So to remove the risk of some of those deficiencies at the review level is a huge benefit, even if it's just for these seven or eight tests and you still have more complex studies to go. Those they're going to have to review in full, but these, they only have to review the summary report. So I see that as a huge advantage. Yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, and I'm just thinking it from like a a customer point of view, working with, you know, say a laboratory like NAMSA that's accredited accredited to these, these studies. Like if I want that study, I want an ASCA, MEM Elution cytotoxicity test. You know, do I have to ask for it? Is it always ASCA certified? Is right. It, <laughs> you know, do I have to specify? Do you have, you know, kind of kind of reminds me of GLP and non-GLP. Can I have a GLP yep. ASCA certified cyto? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I don't know if you know Waffle House. You know, it's the way you order your hash browns. You need them scattered, smothered, diced, chunked, whatever. So this is this is going to be kind of your ordering process for these tests. Yeah. You need GLP, ASCA. But so there's some things that that we have set up for number one, you don't get ASCA unless it's GLP, right? So if you ask for ASCA, ask for ASCA, we're giving you GLP because the understanding is these are going for submission. That's why we have ASCA. That's why it's important. If you're doing screening tests, you don't need ASCA, but Anything that you're going to be submitting, that is your final report to submit. Absolutely, you ask for ASCA. So when NAMSA performs a proposal, for example, we're going to ask you some specific questions because there are certain requirements that you have to meet in order to qualify for ASCA. And it mainly is around your test article, right? It has to be a solid device. The FDA pilot is clearly telling us we can't do it on absorbables or liquids creams, gels, hydrogels, anything that that is of that type of, you know, nature is disqualified automatically. So if you only do creams and gels, I'm sorry, you could stop listening right now, I guess, because you can't do ASCA testing. <laughs> but if you have any of the other polymers and metals and all those types, ceramics, those things we use for devices, solid devices, you absolutely can qualify for ASCA testing. So that's one of the things that you're going to be asked when you request this type of testing. What we did at NAMSA is we took an approach where we created custom test codes that are designated as ASCA. So your quote will designate to you, to us, and then through our laboratory that these are ASCA. So that will be that will be clearly defined on your quote. And absolutely will be GLP because you're going to need those reports for other markets. You know, we don't know. Notified bodies might start accepting FDA summary reports. Wouldn't that be nice if someday that happens? But for now, they're still going to want to see your GLP report. And because it's a GLP study, 
legally, we still have to produce the GLP report. So that's a common question I get. If I get a summary, am I still getting my GLP report? Absolutely, yes. You're getting your summary report and your GLP report, both of them. So that's that's really kind of the 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 first step in getting it is is asking for a quote for those tests that you qualify for. Excellent. So that's uh you know just another thing to think about. But really, and I mean, as long as you know you're submitting to the FDA, all, all you basically at least to start is that you have to ask if you don't know if that test method is is an ask a method or not, which I guess really doesn't doesn't hurt you to ask. And it doesn't mean that a test isn't good just because there's not an ask a version of it. It's just not on the list. Right. Right. Yeah. Cause I mean, there's, there's only so many tests like we were just talking about. So I think some people think that, Oh, the non ask a version must not be as good as, you know, (laughs) ask a, but it's really the same test run the same way. But remember we have those only those specified people that can perform these tests. So me at the beginning, when we started this process, and and because a customer might ask this, why didn't why don't you just do all of them that way? And the fact is, <laughs> because of the limitations of people, that's what I thought we would do. I thought we would just put it in like an operating system, like GLP, and yeah. they could just all be done that way. But because of the limitations on personnel, that really is the barrier to not doing everything by ASCA. You know, we might have twenty five lab techs that work on all of these tests and maybe only six or eight of them meet all of the time restrictions and the education, like all of the, the really high level restrictions the FDA put here. So that limits, right? Who can work on the studies? Same with study directors. I think that's the biggest barrier. I have talked to a few other laboratories about if they applied for ASCA and some of them were like, well, we didn't have study directors that could meet those requirements. So we're going to have to wait until we can. So really high, high expectations of the personnel training and time on the job. So that's why we couldn't do everything, ASCA, because that was my original thought. We'll just do everything, ASCA. And they're like, no, 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 no. We, we can't do that. <laughs> we don't have, we'd have to start going and, and, you know, figure out how to get all of these pre-trained people into the laboratory. Is there yeah. a limit on the number of studies that a ASCA study director can direct at one time? (laughs) That is a great question. I guess we will find out. (laughs) So, yeah, because the interesting thing is, think about it. These are your most experienced study directors. So they're also probably study directing lots of complex other studies besides these what are seemingly seen as the simplest, quote unquote, simplest biocomp tests, right? So. There's going to be a finite balance of how we do that. And and that group definitely has a plan in place. I'm not privy to all their numbers and limits, but they have a plan in place and they've modeled how we can we can work ASCA projects. But that was a serious consideration we had to think about was these study directors are our elite top of the top, right? The most qualified and they're doing a lot of complex studies. So how do we fit? ASCA into there. It was it was a big challenge. That group probably has one of the biggest burdens in this whole process. Yeah. And you combine that with the, you know, the tests that are selected are by sheer volume the the top as well. Right. I mean it's cytosensitization, irritation, acute systemic, and pyrogen. I mean, at least the, the first three, every device has to address those in some way. And if it's through testing, 
I mean, you're getting, you know, a, a lot of volume put in place on those 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 uh, common studies. Yeah, I talked to Lisa Olson about this um, in particular, and uh, yeah, here here are some of her comments about that volume. With ASCA being obviously brand new, first time ever FDA has done anything like this. One of the challenges, certainly with laboratories, is maintaining all the regular GLP studies and then bringing ASCA in on top of it. So just volume and workload and juggling people are are going to be challenges. So if you want to, you know, maybe talk a little bit about some of the things that we've done in preparation. Absolutely. And and you're right. We there's a lot of unknowns to this and, and we're not exactly sure how this will play out. And we believe, of course, that the FDA it, once they get through all the certifications as a lab, that the FDA gets our, our simple summary reports and that's done. But I suspect that for some period of time there's going to be more interaction and we won't get to the ideal state of just having manufacturers submit the, the summary report. So From a lab perspective, we're really going to have to depend on having a really strong and effective quality system. And of course, the fact that a lab that goes into this has already been doing 17025 should have, or and should have been doing GLPs, should really have a lot of the key components for dealing with this type of work. And then layering on it is going to be the process efficiency. And how do we look at managing the process and how do we look at managing the people to ensure that they can continue with their with their education and that's something that at least from the NAMSA perspective we've got a good a good grasp on do we have the final grasp no I think we'll see some evolution to that but certainly we've been having our staff really focus on continuing education and focusing on things like PT testing and that's already part of our system. So in, in some respects, this is just doing what NAMSA has always been doing, but adding on a little bit more of the documentation to it at the end to demonstrate and capture what we've been already doing. Yep, <laughs> exactly. Okay. So yeah, as you see, there's, there's lots of moving parts. I think we're going to see how things come in. There's lots of requirements, like we mentioned internally, and also on the test article. So some of the other things I want to point out, Don, about doing these tests at NAMSA, some of our customers might use custom test codes that we've designed for them. All of those types of things are going to be excluded from ASCA. So we have to only follow the exact test method and test code as defined that was approved by the FDA. So if you need modifications to, you know, your your study for some reason to make it work for your test article, the, the biggest one I can think of is uh, any kind of adjustments to the extract, like pH or those could automatically disqualify you because they're modifications to our standard test protocol that was approved. So it's going to be very by the book the ones we can do ASCA and can't do ASCA. So you'll have lots of questions around that. We're not, you're not able to do these stats. So if somebody needs stat testing, ASCA will not be the way you want to go um, because we're not offering ASCA stat at this time. And I, I don't know if that'll happen in the future, but, but certainly not now. Also, we're not doing draft reports. And, and the reason behind draft reports is interesting because often when you send a draft report out, 
the customers want to make some modifications right. to one part or the other. And we can't modify our reports, right? These were approved as is by the FDA. Our summary report document was outlined and approved by the FDA. So we can't make any modifications to that. So we're not doing any draft reports for ASCA studies because of that reasoning. We'd hate for an error to get made and somebody make an adjustment that then excludes it from acceptance by the FDA. We need to keep these only with the way that the FDA approved them. All right. Sounds all simple enough, you know? Right? Right? You know, I'm really excited. I mean, we've been, NAMS has worked really hard on this. I've been part of the team, like I said, for more than two years and really the last five or six months, you know, regular meetings at least once a week working through all of this. And and then, of course, there's the commercial plan and all the good stuff that I get to do from a marketing perspective. But I think it's really, it's going to be interesting. And I hope the FDA sticks with it. I hope they don't change their mind and (laughs) see like, nope, this is not going to work. Uh, But if they do, you know, we'll pivot on that as well. NAMS is certainly going to always do what's in the best interest of our customers as the FDA sees it. So. And who knows, maybe we'll add some more tests in the future or the FDA will add more tests in the future. But uh, that that remains to be seen, I guess. So we'll, we'll get there when we get there. For today's two truths and a lie, what I thought I would do, because I didn't have you prepare one, is to do an ask of two truths and a lie. I'll fail. And then you can, if you listened, (laughs) if you listened closely, you will know what is true and what's a lie. Okay. So if I'm doing ask a testing and I have a cream I just have to ask NAMSA for an ASCA quote. If I'm doing ASCA testing, I cannot get a draft report from NAMSA. And if I'm doing ASCA testing, I will receive a summary report and a GLP report. Simple enough. Okay. (laughs) So everybody out there is going to do submit their answers and see if they pass. (laughs) You're not going to give an answer. (laughs) Number one, number one. Number one is, in fact, the lie. We cannot do ASCA testing on a cream. So uh, here's some final comments that Lisa had about ASCA and her thoughts about the future and, and NAMSA and ASCA. Well, thanks, Lisa, for spending time to discuss this with us again. Uh, any final thoughts on the program, the future state, the the pivot for the FDA into this pilot program? and uh, you know, we're super excited to have a certification and ready to start doing the testing. So just your any any final thoughts you want to give? I think it's an exciting time for both industry and the regulators. This is the first time that both have really approached the issue of getting devices to market as a partnership. And mm. I think we all need to understand that the program will evolve a little bit. We We've got a great starting place. But as things go through and as we see devices go through and as we see the reports being reviewed, naturally, I think the agency will create some evolution to this. And in some respects, we might see some things that turn out to be a little bit like what has happened on clinical testing. So if you look at clinical lab services, they've got some really robust ways to demonstrate that 
research associates are qualified to do that work. And we might see a little bit of that coming into our world. But I think everybody needs to be flexible, but really be excited about the fact that this is the first time that the regulatory bodies have, have reached out to industries to say, how can we work together to not hash over data that's not worth hashing over? Let's really work on and put our energy on focusing on true safety issues and true data issues. And it's a wonderful time for us all to then look at how we work together through this. Okay. There well, we I think um, I think we covered everything. Are you clear, Don? Now you you could know how to submit and get ASCA testing from NAMSA? I think I could. I think I could if I ever needed to. But uh, I'm pretty sure as long as I work at NAMSA, I, I won't actually need to submit those myself. But I can explain it to somebody that might ask me. That's I was going to say, you're probably going to get lots of questions <laughs> in all of the th and the things you do to uh, to explain it in ASCA. And it it's um it'll be fun for a while to see. Well, it'll be fun in general, but definitely for a while to see how things go and and uh, how many folks are electing to go this route. I think we have some ideas. We've done some modeling around that volume within our company, of course, but it'll be an interesting journey for all of us. Yes, it will. I predict that we have, you know, a couple questions in our next training series uh, event about ASCA. <laughs> I would say that's probably right. <laughs> I would say that's probably right. Maybe we need to add a little mini ASCA section. Um, <laughs> One slide. To the, to the FDA regulatory piece. Yeah, it might be something we need to do. So anyway, thanks y'all for listening. If you have any questions about ASCA, you could certainly reach out to me directly. I'm happy to help you and and your NAMSA business development account executive and your our technical advisors are all able to help as well. So thanks very much for listening. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy biocompatibility, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast store. For free resources and material, remember to visit www.namsa.com slash resources slash podcast.